Good morning, Grace Church. Oh my gosh, it is so good to see all of you. My name is Brandon. I'm, I'm the pastor here. And just really quick, I want to let you know something really cool. Um, if you found like a gummy worm or an M&M under your seat, um, there is a reason for that. Uh, we actually yesterday hosted a free indoor movie night for the community. And we had a ton of people from the community darken these doors. We had 18 volunteers here yesterday and we watched Sing 2 and we had kids do karaoke. In fact, the first kid that did karaoke is like five years old. And what song did he want to sing? Old Town Road with Lil Nas. And, or not Lil Nas. What's that guy's name? Anyone? Thank you. I, yeah, I don't remember. I don't, listen, I'm not in student ministry anymore. I don't know these things. Um, but seriously, so cool. And that has nothing to do with the teaching, but I wanted to let you know. So we're in a series right now called, How Did We Get Here? How did we get here? And last week, we kind of started this series by talking about and looking at how, if we're being honest, whether you're religious or, or non-religious, like this morning you're sitting here and you've been in church or you haven't been in church, one thing we can agree on is that there is brokenness around us in our world and even a little bit of brokenness in us. Like maybe we've lied or cheated or we've stolen or we've not loved others well and we've definitely not loved God well. And that's just personally, right? If we zoom out 30,000 feet and we look at our world, we see injustice, we see racism, we see war, we see poverty and famine. Like there is brokenness around us. And last week we, we started this series and we looked at how the Bible actually gives us three words, three words that help us to make sense of the brokenness around us, to help us better understand or start to understand the brokenness around us. And it all starts with this word called sin. We see that word all through the Bible, but there's actually a Hebrew word for sin, which means kata. That Hebrew word is kata. And that, that word means to miss the mark or miss the goal. And the goal, as Jesus taught us, the goal is to love God and love others well. And we have all missed that. At some point in our life, maybe today we're doing a better job than yesterday, but at some point in our life, we've missed that goal of loving God and loving others well. And the Bible would use the word kata to describe that. But this week we're expanding on this idea through the lens of another word. We're going to look at another word that the Bible uses to describe the, the brokenness, the, the hurt, the pain that we see all around us and inside of us. And that word is transgression. Now, transgression is not a word that we use very often. How many of you use the word transgression within the past week? Probably none of us, right? Uh, we, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't even know what that word means. I was the same way. A couple of weeks ago, I was like, I've seen this word in the Bible, but like, what does it mean? We don't use it that often. And so here's what I wanted to do. I want to illustrate this for you. I want to kind of show you what transgression looks like. So I'm going to invite up a couple people, uh, Chris Nelson and Mary Bain. Why don't you come join me on stage really quick? Uh, they are so excited to do this, by the way. So... <laughs> so Chris, I want you to stand right here, right there on that tape. And then Mary, I want you to stand right here. Okay, perfect. Face each other. I want you to hold the end of that. Pull it nice and tight. Higher. Yeah, okay. Here's the thing. They're both engaged um, to each other. 
and they serve on our student ministry team, which is amazing, okay? Uh, so here's the thing. We're gonna use this chain to represent a relationship we have with someone. So you guys have with each other. This is actually perfect. You guys are engaged. It's exciting. And your relationship, hold it up even higher so everybody can see, your relationship is actually really strong. Like it's it's really strong. And, and maybe you guys right now, you're thinking of somebody you have a relationship like this with. It could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor or a spouse or a sibling or maybe one of your kids. And what's amazing is things are good, right? The relationship is really strong. Now, why is the relationship really strong? trust. They trust each other. We trust that other person and it makes our relationship strong. Like that person's got my back. That person is is not going to gossip about me. That person is not going to slander me. Like they have my back. We have a really good relationship that's built on trust. But one day something happens And that relationship that was really, really strong is broken. (laughs) Now, this is not foreshadowing for you guys. That's not what's happening here. But there's a betrayal in the relationship. What was once strong, there is trust that is betrayed and the relationship is broken. Maybe there's a lie that's exposed or someone cheats or someone steals or someone abandons you and the trust that was once there is all of a sudden broken. All right, you guys did a great job. You can leave those right there. Leave those right there and you can go back to your seat and I'll never ask you to do this again. Okay? So maybe this morning you've experienced this. Like that relationship that you had with that person was really strong. But then you found out they've been lying for weeks and it was broken. Or maybe you were the one that betrayed somebody. You were the one that broke the trust that you had with another person. And here's the thing. We've actually all done this. Every single one of us in this room, myself included, we've all done this because we've all betrayed our relationship with God and we've broken his trust. And that's what transgression is. In fact, the Hebrew word for transgression is pesha and pesha means betrayal of a relationship. That's what transgression, the Hebrew word for transgression is. It's a betrayal of a relationship. And what's so cool, and this is why I encourage you, if you don't understand something about the Bible, it's so important for you to research it because this is the level that we're talking about when it comes to transgression. This word pesha is actually incredibly specific. Pesha is not something you can do to a stranger. You cannot pesha a stranger. You cannot commit transgression to a stranger. Why? You don't have a relationship with them. There's no trust between you and a stranger. 
There's no relationship. Pesha or transgression is something we do against someone that we have a relationship with. This is backstabbing a coworker to get the promotion. This is cheating on your spouse. This is spreading a false rumor about your friend to get back at them. Transgression or Pesha is a betrayal of trust with someone that we have a relationship with. So when we look at the Hebrew word Pesha, it's a betrayal of relationship. That's another way to say transgression. That's the Hebrew way to say transgression. If we go to the New Testament and we actually look at the Greek word, the Greek uses a new word called paraptima. And paraptima means trust breaker. Trust breaker. We broke the trust with someone that we loved and they loved us. We broke the trust of a spouse or a friend or a sibling. So transgression in the Bible is seen through the lens of one breaking trust, paraptima, the Greek, and then the Hebrew word pesha, which means betraying a relationship. And with that understanding, I now want you to see that the entire Bible is a story of pesha. The entire Bible is a story of Pesha. And to to see this, to show you this, I want you to turn to Romans chapter five. We're gonna be in Romans chapter five. So if you have your Bibles towards the end of your Bible, um, it's also, if if you're not sure where that is, go to the front. There's like a concordance that will tell you what page it's on. And if you're like, I, I have it on my phone, but I'm also nervous. I'm going to be on Facebook. If I take my phone out, grab the physical Bible in the seat in front of you and use that to turn to Romans chapter five. And you can just kind of thumb it. That's where you're going to be the rest of the day. So Romans chapter five, here's what's going on. So it was written by a guy named Paul and Paul is writing this letter. So, so this was written as like a letter to the early church in Rome. He's writing this as a letter to the early church in Rome. And in fact, he actually had never visited this church. And so this letter, this, this book of Romans is laying the groundwork and, and kind of providing a holistic view of here's who Jesus was. Here's what Jesus did. And who, here's who Jesus is to us now. That's what Romans is doing. So Paul's laying the foundation saying, here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Even though I've never been with you before, I want you to understand here's what it looks like. And so we're going to start Romans chapter five, verse 17. And I'm just going to read the first half of this verse. So it says this, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Now, right here in chapter five, Paul is actually expanding on a previous thought in Romans chapter three, a couple chapters before this, where Paul says, listen, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us. And so now Paul's showing, listen, that's what we did. Here's how we got here. Where did it come from? What happened? And the word sin, so Romans chapter five, verse 17, for the sin of this one man, that word sin, or or maybe in your translation, it actually says trespass. That word means paraptima. That's the Greek word paraptima or or pesha in the Hebrew. And so I want to read it again with that understanding. 
Verse 17, for the sin or the broken trust or betrayal of relationship of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Now, Genesis chapter three, we go all the way back, beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve are living in perfect harmony with God. Their relationship with God is beautiful. In fact, it says that they walked with God through the garden in the cool of the day. Like it doesn't get any more picturesque in a relationship than that. And God says, listen, you can have anything in this garden. I'm placing you here. It is yours to rule. I just ask that you do one thing for me. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can do everything else. Just don't eat from this one tree. That's all I'm trusting that you won't do this. Genesis chapter three, what happens? Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at that moment, they pesha. There is paroptima that takes place. There is transgression that takes place against God. There's trust that's broken. There's a betrayal of their relationship. And that was just the beginning of humanity's Pesha against God for the entire Old Testament. The entire first half, first two thirds of the Bible, we actually see the people of Israel and the rest of the world continuously break God's trust and betray their relationship with him. Whether that was worshiping gods other than him or trusting something else rather than trusting him. I mean, just read the story of the people of Israel leaving Egypt after 400 years of captivity, and that will tell you everything you need to know about how often they broke God's trust, how often they betrayed their relationship with him. And not only that, but as we discussed last week, sin against man is sin against God. Because every single one of us in this room, black, yellow, white, old, young, it doesn't matter. We're all made in God's image. All of us. So cheating and stealing and murder and hatred, all of these things that we commit against one another, we're not only transgressing against each other, but we're transgressing against God as well. And that's just the Old Testament. If we go to the New Testament, second half of the Bible, Matthew chapter one, Jesus, God in the flesh enters the picture. The first book of the New Testament, the first chapter of the New Testament, Jesus enters the picture. And listen, I said this last week, but I want to reiterate, if you have never read the gospels before, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I highly encourage you, read those over the next couple weeks. Leading up to Easter, it will give you a better picture and a better understanding of why we actually celebrate Easter. There is a reason, and that reason is found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> but what you're going to find is this, that Jesus, or, or God incarnate, God in the flesh, received Pesha and Paraptima in person. And the prophet Isaiah even predicted that it would happen. He prophesied years before Jesus even entered the world. The prophet Isaiah said this about his life. Isaiah 53, three, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with 
deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. That's breaking trust. That's a betrayal of a relationship. And then we fast forward, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the garden. His last few hours here on earth. And he's about to be arrested. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 26, 55 and 56. Then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. Listen to this next part. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. His best friends that had walked with him for three years, that had stood by his side, that had knelt at his feet in that moment, betrayed the relationship. They fled. Not only that, but who is Jesus looking at in this moment? He's looking at one of his closest friends and closest followers named Judas, who he knows has just betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas was willing to say, I'll betray my teacher. I'll betray one of my best friends. I'll break the relationship, and all trust that we had. God's very creation, his very own people were looking him in the eyes and then turning their back on him. Not strangers. These were not strangers. These were his closest friends. This was Jesus is God incarnate. This is his creation looking at him and saying, we're going to go the other way. Jesus endured all of our Pesha and all of our Paraptima. He took it on his shoulders, all of our transgressions, and he walked through life. As Isaiah says again in 53 verse 7, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He took all of that transgression. He took it on his shoulders, all of the betrayal, all of the trust that was broken. He took it on his shoulders. He never opened his mouth. Though he was transgressed against, he never peshed anyone. He never sinned. He remained perfect. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He lived in perfect relationship with God and others. He did what we couldn't do. He endured all of the Pesha that we could throw at him. He endured friends abandoning him. He endured his very creation yelling, crucify him. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was tortured. He was mocked. And then he was hung on a cross in shame. Why? Why would he endure all that Pesha, all that Paraptima? Why would he endure all of that? Well, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 12, verses two and three, we talked about this last week. The author of Hebrews tells us The author said this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I love that last part because it's such an encouragement. 
Like the author of Hebrews is like, listen, next time you're in it, and you feel like the world is against you, and you feel just weary and tired, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember that Jesus was there too. And let that encourage you. But if we go back to the beginning of this, because of the joy awaiting him, because of the joy awaiting him, that is why Jesus endured all of it. That's why he endured all of the Pesha that we could throw at him, all of the transgression that we could throw at him, all of the betrayal that we could throw at him. That's why he endured it because of the joy awaiting him. Now, there's a pastor and an author named Dane Ortland, and he, he wrote this book called Gentle and Lowly. And about a year and a half ago, my wife, Allie, was like, Brandon, you have to read this book. It's so, so good. And it was on my bookshelf. And uh, about a week ago, I picked up Gentle and Lowly. And I started reading it. And I went, Allie, you have to read this book. It's so good. And, you know, I got the eye roll. And Brandon, I've been telling you that for a year and a half. But here's what Dane Ortland says in that book, Gentle and Lowly. He's talking about Hebrews chapter 12. And he says this, what joy? What was waiting for Jesus on the other side of the cross? The joy of seeing his people forgiven. That's what he was so excited about on the other side of the cross, people will be able to find forgiveness. Through Jesus, we have the ability to receive the free gift of forgiveness and have our relationship with God restored. To have it, to have it made whole again. And I want to go back to Romans chapter five, because we we just read a quick snippet of it, but I want to read the whole thing now. Now that we have this understanding of transgression and Pesha and Paraptima and, and an understanding of what Jesus did for us and what Adam did to us, what Adam did for us, I, I want to go back and I want to read Romans chapter five, verses 15 to 21. And I want you to listen to these words. Listen to what Paul said to the early church in Rome and to us today. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin, that Pesha, that paraptima, for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given 
so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of us, all of us were born with sin and were born separated from God through the Pesha of one man. We're given new life, receive forgiveness, and are reconciled to God through another. While Adam's Pesha, while Adam's transgression brought death and judgment and condemnation to all of us, Jesus's trustworthiness and faithfulness brought life, grace, and justification. Jesus was the perfect version of Adam. And in doing so, he brought life, not death. He brought forgiveness, not condemnation. He brought grace, not judgment. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 says, the scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. And I need you. I need you. If you don't take anything else from this Sunday, I need you to hear this this morning, that despite all of our transgressions, despite all of our sin, despite all of the times we fail to love God and love others well. Despite all of that, God still offers us grace and a new life. He still offers forgiveness. He still gave up everything that he had, his one and only son, to come and die the death and take the punishment that you and I deserved. And it's in the moments where we feel lost and broken and alone that Jesus says, listen, I was there too. I stood in the garden and watched my best friends leave me. I looked in the eyes of someone that said they were one of my closest friends as they betrayed me. I was beaten. I was mocked. I became weary and tired. I've been there. And now here's what I'm saying. Come follow me. Take, take my hand. I've been there. I know what it's like. And I'll walk with you through this. To quote Dane Ortland from Gentle and Lowly again, he says this, he or Jesus does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. That's why we come to Jesus. We say, I'm broken. I'm hurting. 
I'm in pain. I, I've transgressed. I've, I've betrayed. And that's the beauty of the gospel. This is why it's good news that Jesus didn't just come for those, for only those people that have their lives together. He didn't just come for the rich and the powerful. He didn't just come for those that have a lot of social media clout. He didn't just come for those that have a lot of power and followers. He didn't just come for those people. He came for those that are broken and hurting too. He came for the outcasts. He came for those on the fringes. He came for the husbands and spouses that aren't sitting in this room with you right now. He came for the children that you've been praying for for years. He came, he, he came for that friend that you know that has no interest right now in having a relationship with him. He came for all of them because that's Jesus. He came because every human being is guaranteed one thing because of Adam's Pesha. And that one thing is death. And Jesus came, he experienced that death, and then he overcame that death once and for all. When he rose from the grave three days after being put inside of it, he overcame death once and for all for those that choose to follow him and put their faith in him. Isaiah chapter 53, again, Isaiah is just prophesying the crap out of this, 11 and 12. He says this, when he sees, when Jesus sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. We are the many. He's prophesying about us. For he will bear all their sins, all their transgression, all their pesha, all their paraptima. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. The love of God was so great for his creation, for you and I, that he took the first step to restore the trust that was broken between him and us through Adam. He took the first step to restore the relationship that was broken, and he did that through sending his one and only son, Jesus. So that despite all of the times that we Pesha, Despite all of the times that we paraptima, when Jesus came, he had one mission and one mission only. To be the one that fixes what was broken. This is why Jesus came. And you and I can't do this. We cannot fix what Adam broke all those years ago. So while the Bible is a story of Pesha and Paraptima, the story doesn't end there. It's a story of trust that was broken, but through Jesus restored. It's a story of a relationship that was betrayed, but through Jesus was repaired. It's a story that reveals to us that we are in desperate need of a savior and that try as we might, we cannot fix our relationship with God and others without him. It's through choosing to follow Jesus and making him the Lord of our lives that we find grace with God and the, the restoration in that relationship. And then he gives us an example of how to love others well. 
He suffered and was betrayed and through it all, he never stopped doing the will of his father and loving others at the same time. And today he's ready to walk with you. The question is, will you choose to follow him? And so what are some next steps we can take? What are some next steps moving on from here? Well, maybe for you this morning, the next step you need to take is forgiveness. I want you to think about, as you're thinking right now, Brandon, that person broke my trust. Like they came at me. I want you to think about how God gave up everything he had, even when we were the ones that wronged him. He was the one that extended the branch and said, let's start repairing this thing when it was us that walked away in the first place, when we were the ones that pashad in the first place. So in the same way, who is someone that you could forgive and try to repair the relationship, even if you weren't the one that originally did the wrong? Like maybe they betrayed the relationship, but man, you said some stuff when they did. Or you thought some stuff when they did. Now, listen, this is really important because I think we miss this sometimes. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you have to be friends with them again. It doesn't. Forgiving is about restoring. Saying, I'm not going to hold on to this and let it turn to bitterness. It's letting go and saying, listen, I need to apologize, but I also know you probably shouldn't be in my life anymore. Forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? Another step could be looking at your own life and saying, in what ways have I been transgressing lately? In what ways have I been pushing or, or paraptoma? What does that look like? In what ways have I betrayed trust or, or betrayed someone close to me? Maybe it was in your relationship with God. And the Bible tells us if that's the case, confess and repent. Confessing is just saying, God, here's what I did. I know this is not what you asked me to do. And I did the opposite. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And the Bible tells us that every single time God will say, you are forgiven. Not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe it's someone else. Like you betrayed a relationship with a friend or a coworker or, you know, wife or a husband or sibling or kid. And if that's you and you're like, I have that person that's coming to my mind. Let's go back to point number one. Maybe you need to do some forgiving. Lastly, I want you to be thinking about someone or family that you could invite to Easter this year. Who needs to hear the good news of Jesus? Who needs to hear all that Jesus has done for them? Even when they were far from him, that Jesus still came and died for them. Who in your life needs a place where they can find community and belonging and purpose? Think of a couple names and then on your seats, there's like invite cards. Grab a couple on your way out and just invite somebody. Invite a family. The Bible is a story of Pesha and redemption. 
And I'm thankful today that the God of the Bible is a God that never gives up. Let's pray. God, we God, I blow it so often. And I know what you've told me to do and I do the opposite. God, I thank you for sending Jesus. For giving up your one and only son because that's how much you loved us. That in spite of all of the times we've betrayed our relationship with you, we've broken trust, you still gave up everything so that if we want it, that relationship can be restored. That is how good you are. That is how loving you are. That good news with someone else? Help us to not keep that to ourselves. God, help us to share that. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.